Welcome to the podcast for Windsor Road Baptist Church. Prepare your heart to receive God's message. Thanks, Mark. Well, hello, Windsor Road Church. Those of you who are here and those online, uh, this is the camera right there, right? Those of you who are at home. I am um, very pleased to be here. I was glad when Mark contacted me and asked me if I wanted to come and talk about the Gospels. One of the reasons I was glad is because the Gospels is one of my favourite topics of conversation and most of the people I know are so sick of hearing me talk about them. So it's really lovely to have a fresh lot of people that I can, uh, that I can talk to uh, about the Gospels, except for that one home group that came for those four weeks. And so, I don't know, you might want to go off and get a Zarafas or something and come back in 25 minutes. Uh, or maybe you've forgotten, so it's a good, it's a good catch up. The Gospels have always fascinated me. From the very first time that I opened a Bible, I can remember being just enthralled by the stories about Jesus. And that's, that's never really waned throughout my life. So much so that I ended up going and doing a PhD in the Gospel of Luke. And having spent four years, pretty much every day, looking at it, I came out still enthralled by the Gospels. Uh, so I, I, just, I just love them. But I think we have a problem with the Gospels, and that is, as Mark said, we've just become familiar with them, and we, we think we know what's in there. And... I think sometimes we miss what's right in front of our noses because we're so familiar with these Gospels. And I think we can mistakenly think that the Gospels are kind of, like they're the kids' stories and us adults, well, we all sort of, you know, tend more towards the letters and the the serious, where the serious theology is. But I'm hoping that by the end of this morning, you will see that the Gospels are far more than children's stories or or just ethical teachings from Jesus. So I want to pose a question for you to start with, to think about this morning, and that is, what are the Gospels? Because we need to know that before we can read them. You see, I've brought today a couple of things here. This is my car manual. I've got an i30. It's, uh, I really love it, and here's the manual for how to, uh, how to operate that vehicle. And I've also got a collection of Australian bush poetry. Now, if you, if you went to read these, you'd want to know what they were, right, before you started reading them. Because if you, if you mistakenly thought that this was a book of poems and this is a manual to operate your car, you'd probably interpret them very wrongly and kind of miss what they're intended to do. And so that's why I say that we really need to know what the Gospels are before we can read them well. Because we come with different reading strategies and different expectations depending on what it is that we think we're reading. So I want to throw this question out to you. What do you reckon? What are the Gospels? So if if you were a librarian and you had to decide where to shelve the Gospels, where would you put them? And I'm actually asking you this question and hoping for a response. And if this were any other congregation, 
I'd be very nervous about doing that because I'd be thinking, oh, like, what if they don't say anything? I'll end up standing up here looking silly in silence. But, uh, but I've heard that Windsor Road is a very courageous congregation, uh, not afraid to speak up and just give it a go. So what do you think? If you had to decide where to shelve the Gospels, what section would you put them in? Religion, okay, so we've, we've got, uh, we could put them in the religious section. That's certainly true, isn't it? That they are sacred religious texts. Uh, we, you know, did the gospel writers know that they were sitting down to write sacred religious text? Probably not, but that's what they've become for us. And you know, sacred religious text, you don't read that like other books. You, you go back to them again and again. I, I've got a John Grisham novel my um, son gave me for Christmas and I, I just finished reading that. I'm going to put that on my bookshelf now and probably not read it again. Maybe I'll read it in five years. Maybe I'll lend it to someone. But a religious text, you go back and you search and you debate and you discuss and you try and figure out what this has to do with your life. So, yeah, it's a religious text. Anyone got... Other answers? Yeah. Uh, two odd libraries, says biographies, and Trish says life health. Sorry, what was that first one? Biography. David. Biography. David says biography. Okay, good answer, David. Okay, biography. So if you went back to the first century when our Gospels were written and you looked at other writings, then they're closest to ancient biography. And ancient biography was written um, not just as an entertaining read, like maybe our biographies are, but they, they will choose a person that they think is worth emulating, that they think is worth imitating. And they'll write a biography about that person, a very important person generally, uh, and that's the purpose of a biography. And when you look at our Gospels, yeah, absolutely, David, they are biographies, but they're more than biographies. What was that second one that we had? Uh, life help. Life help. Yep. Yep. Okay. So I think we can certainly see when we get into our gospels that there's a lot in there, particularly in some of Jesus' ethical teaching and the way that Jesus treated people. That certainly helps us live our lives. Any other? Yep. Philosophy. Philosophy. Wow. We get to John's gospel. And the start of John's Gospel, the first 14 verses, oh my gosh, it's so philosophical, isn't it? Uh, so yeah, I think it wrestles with the deep questions of life. So yeah, it's a good option. Have we got... Adventure and memoirs. They were actually called the memoirs of the apostles. That's what the um, early church people thought. Historical account. Cool. Okay. So they are historical, aren't they? They're, uh, they're written by real people, about real people and real events. So yeah, I think we've, we've got a bit of a handle on that. There's some truth in each of those, as you can see. If we wanted to distill it into a few words, I think that the four Gospels are best described as historical narrative written to communicate theological message. Someone said philosophy. We did have religious texts. Theology is something a little bit different. Our Gospels don't have a contents page. You can't look up Holy Spirit and go to that section. 
but they do contain a lot of theology. So just unpacking that, it's historical, real events, real people, things that happened, but it's also a narrative. It's written as a story with a beginning, a middle and an end. The Gospels have characters and plot, but they're also uh, theology. So the Gospel writers are not simply communicating a message. Um, a, they're not simply communicating historical facts. This is what happened. But they're also using those facts to, to give us some theology. Let me give you an example of that from Luke's Gospel. So I'm sure that you know this uh, verse up here, Luke 9:23. Yep. It's a well-known verse. Jesus tells his disciples that if they want to follow him, they must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow him daily. You see I've underlined that preposition there? It's a little preposition. It means to fall in behind, or to come after, or to follow behind. And the picture that I have in my mind is like ducklings behind a mother duck. Have you ever seen that? And they all walk along. Or maybe, uh, maybe soldiers walking behind their commander. It's that kind of walking behind, coming after. And so a follower of Jesus must walk in Jesus' footsteps, follow him. Now a few verses later we're told that Jesus began his journey from Galilee to Jerusalem. And the rest of the book is taken up with this journey. He knows the cross is waiting in Jerusalem. And his disciples are going to come along on the journey, following after him, all the way to Jerusalem, all the way to the cross, where he's going to be crucified. Now, where they were when Jesus made this statement is about oh, maybe a three-day walk to Jerusalem. Do you know it took them 10 chapters to get there? Well, I mean, what were they doing? Did they get lost or something? I don't know. But the interesting thing is that there's a lot of teaching about discipleship in those 10 chapters. And so what we've got in Luke is this physical journey to Jerusalem becomes this kind of metaphorical journey of discipleship, of what it means to follow after Jesus as he goes to the cross. That little preposition, it appears again at the end of the story. You see, in Matthew and Mark, we're also told about this guy called Simon of Cyrene who was forced to carry Jesus' cross. But it's only in Luke's Gospel we're told Simon of Cyrene carried the cross behind Jesus. And so what we've got here is Luke using Simon of Cyrene as a visual aid of what discipleship looks like. It's this graphic illustration. You want to be a disciple? Well, that's what it looks like. That's what discipleship looks like. You see, Luke isn't just telling us the events of Jesus' life, telling us the historical account. He's using those historical events to teach a truth about discipleship. And 
he does that in the language that he uses, in the way that he puts the story together. And if we, aren't, if we don't realise that that's what this gospel is, then we, we can miss a lot of the richness of the gospel that's there. All right, are you ready for a quick quiz? Got a quick quiz for you, three questions. Uh, I want you to make a mental note of the answers. If you don't know the answer, then, you know, maybe just ask the person next to you and see what they think. How much do we know about the Gospels? Okay. Let's, let's have a look at the first question. Which statement is incorrect? Don't, don't get this wrong. Which one is incorrect? Have a look up there. Make a mental note of which one you think is incorrect. Think you got it? bit hard to read. It's, uh, let's see. A is Judas committed suicide by hanging himself. Is that incorrect? B, Judas, desi- Judas died as a result of an abdominal injury that happened when he had a fall. C, Judas returned the money given to him for betraying Jesus. Or D, Judas purchased a field with the money given to him for betraying Jesus. I'll I'll let you think about that. Let's have a look at the next one. The next one is, when does Jesus overturn the tables in the temple? Maybe you remember that scene. Uh, Is it A, at the beginning of his ministry? Is it B, the day he entered Jerusalem at the start of the week of his death, that Easter week? C, the day after the day he entered Jerusalem? at the start of the week of his death? Or D, all of the above, he actually did it three times. Make a mental note of which one you think is correct. And then finally, who discovers the tomb is empty? Is it A, Mary Magdalene? B, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome? C, Mary Magdalene and another Mary? Or D, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Susanna, and the other women from Galilee. So that's your four options. Make your mental note. Okay, Melissa, can we go back to that first one? The first question? Well, which statement is incorrect? Well, according to Matthew 27, Judas regretted what he had done returned the money he'd been paid for betraying Jesus, and then he committed suicide by hanging himself. However, if you read Acts chapter 1, which was written by Luke, Judas bought a field with the money he'd been paid for betraying Jesus, and he fell headfirst, perhaps in that field, causing a terrible abdominal injury, and that's what he died from. How about, how about the next question? When does Jesus overturn the tables in the temple? Well, if you read John, it happens right at the beginning of his ministry. If you read Luke and Matthew, it's the day he arrived in Jerusalem, right at the end of his ministry, in the last week of his life, he immediately goes to the temple, sees what's happening, and he overturns the tables, starts causing a ruckus. If you read Mark... It's similar to Luke and Matthew. He arrives in Jerusalem, he goes to the temple, he sees what's happening, and then he leaves, and he comes back the next day and overturns the tables. So it depends who you read. How about that last question? Who discovers the tomb is empty? 
Well, again, it depends which gospel you read. In John, it's Mary Magdalene, and she seems to be alone. In Mark, it's Mary Magdalene, the mother, Mary, the mother of James and Salome. In Matthew, it's Mary Magdalene and another Mary. And Luke, it's Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Susanna, and other women from Galilee. We can be pretty sure Mary Magdalene was there, can't we? Now, if you've ever noticed these differences, who, who has noticed some of these differences? Some people have, some people haven't. And, and there's a reason, probably, why, why you haven't. They might feel really disturbing. And I don't like disturbing people. But we can't pretend that the differences aren't there because there they are, right in front of our noses. We've got the same stories contained in multiple Gospels, but sometimes they're told in different ways, with different details or in different orders. Some are very different. Go home and have a look at the, the birth narrative, the story of Jesus' birth in Luke, and then flick over to Matthew and compare the two. They're really different stories. There's the resurrection stories are also quite different. The order of events in Matthew, Mark and Luke are really different to the order of events in the Gospel of John. And it's very difficult to reconcile these apparent contradictions. Many people spend a lot of time trying to do it, but you have to do a lot of biblical gymnastics in order to get them all to line up nice and neatly. So, for example, Jesus overturning the table in the temple, some people say, well, he did it twice, once at the beginning of his ministry and once at the end. And John didn't mention the second time he did it, and the other gospel writers didn't mention the first time he did it. But, of course, to reconcile them completely, he's actually got to come back and do it one more time, the day after, if we are trying to reconcile Mark. Now, we might not notice these different details because what we tend to do uh, is we kind of try and merge the same story from all the different Gospels. The classic example is our, our, Christmas our Christmas nativity scenes where we've got some wise men in a stable and there's a star and there's shepherds. But that's taking different details from the two different Gospels and merging them together. So our practice is to read the gospel in fragments. We take a little portion and we study that and then we go to a different gospel and we take, take a look at a passage there and, and see what that says. Would you ever do that with a novel? Like my John Grisham novel, I didn't read page 67 on the first night that I was reading it and then the next night I pick it up and I read page 34 and that doesn't make any sense. Why would you do that? You would miss the sweep of the story. But that's exactly what we do with the Gospels, isn't it? We very rarely just sit down and read them from beginning to end. But Gospels are historical narratives. They're stories. They're meant to be read from beginning to end. So what do we do with all these differences in details that could really disturb us? Well, I want to suggest that we appreciate them because they, what they do is they give us some clues into the message of each of the different Gospels. I want you to think for a moment 
about the difference between a historical event and a historical account. So an event is something that just takes place, right? An account is a description of that event. And accounts necessarily involve interpretation. It's 20 years since 9-11 happened. I went and watched, um, I, I saw Come From Away last night. It's an excellent musical. What happened on 9-11? Well, planes flew into buildings. Buildings collapsed, a lot of people died. We saw those events, if you're as old as me uh, and younger. We saw those events on, on TV played over and over and over again. We could see what happened. Those facts don't change. The planes flew into buildings, buildings collapsed. But spoken or written accounts of those events might be very different depending on who it is that writes them. So imagine write, reading an account from a first responder and then maybe reading a different account from a family member of someone who died in that, on that day. They would be very different accounts. Different details would be important. The family member might write about the last time they saw that family member. A first responder might write about the adrenaline that they felt when they ran up the stairs and everybody else was running down. The events are unchangeable. They don't change. The facts don't change. But the accounts vary depending on the perspective of the writer. Does that make sense? Our Gospels are not video recordings of what happened. They are written accounts of what happened. And they're written from four different perspectives. Have a look at these um, pictures. What are you seeing here? What is that? Sydney Opera House, yep. Which one is the Sydney Opera House? There's four of them and they're all very different. So which one's the Sydney Opera House? Well, they all are, aren't they? But they're painted from four different perspectives and they're meant to impact us in quite different ways. So our Gospels are a bit like this. They're four portraits of Jesus, each painted from a different perspective. Now, if you've got those pictures and you thought, I want the most accurate picture I can possibly get of the Opera House. And somehow you could make those pictures transparent and you put them all on top of one another and look down through them. Would that give you the most accurate picture of the Opera House? No, in fact, it would distort the picture, wouldn't it? But that's what we often do with the Gospels. We, we overlay them on top of one another and we look down thinking that that's the way to get the richest understanding of Jesus. But it isn't. The best way to get the best understanding of Jesus is to read each gospel separately. To see, what is this gospel? What is this gospel telling me about Jesus? What's the perspective of this gospel? How does this gospel portray Jesus? It's a very different way than we often um, read it. Do you see that... Um, bottom right hand one 
It's a really interesting one. Does anybody recognise the backdrop? Yeah? Yeah, Starry Night. That's Van Gogh's Starry Night. So you look at that bottom right painting of the Opera House and it evokes maybe all the memories that you have of the Opera House. Maybe you went down to Sydney once and had a ferry ride and there was the Opera House and the sun was shining, it was just a lovely day. Those things might come to mind when you see that picture. But also, whatever memories or connections that you've got tucked away in your mind about Van Gogh's Starry Night, they kind of rise to the surface as well. And so you've got two things going on in your, in your mind when you see that picture. And a similar thing happens with the Gospels and the Old Testament. Sometimes the writers will tell us a story about Jesus, but they use the backdrop of the Old Testament. And if we're alert to that, then that can also really help us in understanding the Gospels. So do you remember the story of, uh, it's in John, it's in Luke chapter 1, about Zachariah and Elizabeth and how they were the parents of John the Baptist and how that whole event unfolded. The characters of Zachariah and Elizabeth, the way that they're described, evoke um, images of Abraham and Sarah, this old, faithful, but childless couple, barren, that longed for a son. And then God somehow miraculously created, you know, stepped in, intervened, and, and Sarah gets pregnant, and God works through that child. And here we have the same story playing out again, only this time it's with Zachariah and Elizabeth, a faithful, righteous couple, but they're childless. And God is going to work through their child. So do you see how both, you know, it's like the, the characters of, of Luke's story are on the centre stage, but the backdrop is the Old Testament. That happens over and over and over again in the Gospels. And they add to our understanding of, um, of the story. So let's have a look at the next one. What, what we've got in our Gospels are four portraits of one Jesus. Which one is the real Jesus? Well, they all are, but they're, they're painted from different perspectives. You can tell that each Gospel is kind of capturing a different side of the story of Jesus. If you have a look at the very first verse in each Gospel. So Mark 1.1, which we we'll, might have a look at next week, the beginning of the good news of Jesus, Christ, Son of God. Compare that with Matthew 1.1. The record of the lineage of Jesus, Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. This is a very Jewish gospel. Jesus is not Christ, son of God. He's Christ, son of David, son of Abraham. And do you know Matthew also portrays Jesus as a new Moses. So just as Moses went up the mountain to get instructions from God on how his people should live, what does Jesus do? He goes up a mountain and he teaches instructions for how God's people should live. He says... 
You have heard that it was said, but I say to you, Moses gives us five books of instruction, Genesis through to Deuteronomy, and in Matthew, Jesus' teaching is broken up into five chunks of teaching. And it echoes the five books of instruction. So it's not just the content of the Gospels that help us understand them. It's not the content where we find the theology. It's even the way that the Gospel writers put their Gospels together. How about Luke 1.1? Many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things fulfilled among us. Jesus doesn't even appear. He doesn't appear till, I mean, chapter 2, really. Luke's story is not so much about Jesus. It's about the things fulfilled among us. So the events of Luke's gospel are showing us how God is fulfilling his ancient promises of salvation through the ministry and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And then we get to John, philosophy. John 1.1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. You see how with his opening words, he takes our minds back to Genesis 1, in the beginning. He takes us back to the first creation in order to show how Jesus' death and resurrection is the start of a new creation. It's an interesting point in the Gospel of John. The way that John tells the story of the resurrection, it's only in John that we're told the tomb was in a garden. Jesus rose to new life in a garden. Only in John does Mary mistake Jesus for a gardener. What an odd detail to put in there. Was she wrong or was she right? And in John, when Jesus appears to his disciples in the upper room, what does he do? He breathes on them. He breathes his Holy Spirit into them. Does that sound familiar from Genesis chapter 2? John is evoking images all the way through his gospel in order to communicate a theological message. And here we thought that he was simply telling us what Jesus said and did. He's doing a whole lot more than that. Do you see why I'm endlessly fascinated with the Gospels? This stuff is just, it's the coolest thing. You can read the Gospels a thousand times and never get to the bottom of them. I'm wondering if you've ever read a gospel from start to finish in one sitting. Because I'm going to send you home to read Mark's gospel this week. So sometime this week, sit down and read it from start to finish. But here's the thing. Try to read it as if you've never read it before. As if you don't really know what it's about and you don't even know how it ends. Try to do that. Try to read it with fresh eyes. I know that's impossible, but try. Just notice what's there. And in doing so, you might just notice what isn't there 
that you always thought was there. Don't go looking for clever things. Don't go looking for the secret, the real meaning that Denise Powell is going to share with us next week. Don't do that. Just read the gospel and see what happens. See what you notice. Read it with curiosity. Read it as if it were a novel that you're reading from start to finish. And I will come back next week and I will talk about some things that some people have seen in that gospel. And that will kick us off for um, Mark's series on Mark, which, which uh, I'm sure you're really looking forward to. Can I pray? Our Father, the one in the heavens, may your name be honoured. May your kingdom come. May your will be done as in heaven, also on the earth. Give us today what we need, just what we need. Forgive our debts as we forgive those who owe us debts. And do not lead us into temptation, into a time of testing, but rescue us from the evil one. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that you have been blessed by the message. Windsor Road Baptist Church is a growing intergenerational and international community of people committed to whole life discipleship. Please visit us at windsorroad.org.au to connect with us and to learn more about our church.